As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room, formerly known as the Locker Room app, guys. Spotify Green Room is a live audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app. Start or join ongoing conversations. Watch games together. React to the biggest news, rumors, and games. And, of course, I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify Green Room. The Bears Talk Underground presents Club 34-7. Be sure and join me. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link to your Twitter, and join into the group. Follow me to be notified when my room goes live. And, of course, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, is when Club 34-7 uh, hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys. You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the uh, on the app so that you'll know anytime that I go live because uh, we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason. We'll be doing uh, knee-jerk reactions during halftime uh, during the season and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities for interaction between me and you, my loyal audience. So be sure and download the Spotify Green Room app wherever you get your apps. <laughs> What's up, kitties? Happy belated 4th of July. I hope you guys all enjoyed your holiday. And, uh, you know, I did not take the holiday. Well, I did because I recorded this interview like two weeks ago. But, you know, I, I, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the holiday. I know that I did. Uh, watched a couple of movies, hung out, had some good food. Uh, and, and enjoyed, you know, the 4th of July uh, with the pandemic slowly but surely uh, coming to an end. Um, the work from home thing is actually going to be ending next week, actually. So this is going to be my last week of, of working from home exclusively. Uh, we'll be going back to the office part time. So two days here, three days there, that kind of thing. But uh, being able to work from home and, you know, just kind of... Uh, uh, it's really chill for me. I, I enjoy the hell out of it. I'm not looking forward to going back to the office at all. Um, so, but anyway, going to enjoy this this last week of uh, quote-unquote office freedom and uh, kick things off with the AFC North. Uh, we have the Ravens and the Steelers this week. This episode, of course, Kevin Ostriker from Locked On Ravens to help us preview the 2021 Baltimore Ravens to be talking about you know, Lamar Jackson uh, and the team in general, you know, 14 and two in 2019 came up short in the divisional round, battled their way through the season last year, made it back to the playoffs. Not as good in, in uh, 2020 record wise, but still won 11 games, made it to the playoffs, uh, lost in the wild card round to the Buffalo Bills and an awesome defensive battle uh, in that one. But in the end, the Bills were, uh, 
a little too much. The Ravens kind of ravaged by injury, especially in the offensive line uh, in that one. And, and a late uh, Lamar Jackson interception return for a touchdown kind of sealed the win uh, for Buffalo. But they're looking to come back. They're looking to, uh, to if at the very least, return to 2019 form where they were the dominant team in the league before the postseason, looking to try to reclaim the AFC North and uh, reclaim the AFC because they've won it a few times or a couple of times and gone to the Super Bowl and to win it both times, uh, actually. So uh, that's what uh, Lamar Jackson and uh, John Harbaugh and the Ravens are looking to do. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. We're going to jump right into it. It's myself and Kevin Ostriker from Locked On Ravens previewing the 2021 Baltimore Ravens on this AFC North opponent preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Making our way through the AFC North and uh, we're, we're up to our second place finisher now. And uh, last year's second place finisher, the Baltimore Ravens, uh, they were gangbusters in 2019, 14 and two, uh, got, came up short in the divisional round and then came back in, in 2020 looking to repeat that MVP performance from Lamar Jackson and move their way back into championship uh, mode. And here to help preview the uh, 2021 Ravens uh, from Locked On Ravens, Kevin, I had it as, is it Ostriker? Ostriker. Ostriker. I got it. So I I was right. I should be more confident. Kevin Ostriker from Lockdown Ravens. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me. My last name's a tough one. I don't, I don't blame you whatsoever, but I'm excited to be here and talk some Ravens with you. Yeah, and I appreciate you taking the time. And, and I'm I'm usually really good with names, which is why I was, you know, I was like, yeah, it's like that, that's Ostriker. Okay, Ostriker, you know. <laughs> All right, we'll deal with it. But don't feel bad because a friend of mine that I've had on the show literally since the day I started doing interviews, uh, it took me a couple of years to to keep remembering the the pronunciation of his name. His last name is Reisman, as in Theisman, you know. And uh, and I just I kept doing Reisman for some reason. I kept don't ask me why. Uh, it just kept screwing that one up like the Reisman, like Heisman for whatever reason just wasn't sticking in my head. I got it wrong. Mm. Every time for a couple of seasons before, I was like, yeah, it's Reisman like Theisman, dummy. Come on. So anyway, thanks for coming on. And uh, since you are a, a new friend uh, to the show, we like to ask the same uh, three questions to introduce you to the audience. Uh, where are you from originally? Where are you now? And what is your favorite moment as a Ravens fan? Yeah, I'll run through all of them. So I am, I was Born and raised in Virginia for the first couple of months of my life. Moved to Baltimore after a few months and have lived there for most of my life ever since. So pretty much Baltimore born and raised, but not technically born right. in Baltimore. And I actually am still located in Baltimore. So wow. my love for the city has not gone away. I am still thriving in Baltimore. And, and it's helped me be able to cover a team that I have grown up loving and been a fan of. And now, you know, just to be part of the the many talents of people covering the team has really been an honor for me sure and my favorite moment you know there, there are a few but one that'll always stick well they technically go in the same realm i mean for me it was the 2012 2013 super bowl run a moment for me is the mile high miracles people call it here in baltimore the sure. Jacoby jones 70 yard bomb that he caught from joe flacco i was watching it with my friends in 
my living room and my dad and, and his friends are watching in the basement and there was a little there was a time delay. So we were seeing stuff after they had seen it. Yeah. And everybody thought the game was over. It was it was third down. They had 70 yards to go. No timeouts, like thir- four, maybe 40 seconds on the clock. And all of a sudden, my dad and his friends just start erupting in the basement. So we run down there, you know, we see them. I, I missed the play live because I ran down there and they were already celebrating it and everything. But then that, you know, they beat the Patriots, they go to the Super Bowl, and my dad and I go to that Super Bowl. It was a birthday oh, present from my dad to me. So we went nice. down to New Orleans. We stayed in Baton Rouge and we explored New Orleans for that day and they won. So it made it that much better. But we were in the stadium for, for the power outage, yeah. Beyonce's halftime show. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline show so i mean that whole weekend for me was just memorable and i mean i'll never forget it my dad made sure that it was, it was a memorable one for me and I'll, I'll keep that with me forever awesome awesome yeah that's uh that's good stuff i mean i wasn't watching the uh the, the wasn't it a comeback victory as well yeah they, they were going they were in the super bowl you mean no 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 in the uh the, the mile high miracle the wasn't mile high that, miracle, yeah, they, like, they were going the, back and forth they, they okay. were down they, the broncos had a ton of special teams, touchdowns, Torrey Smith had two scores, but they were kind of going back and forth and back and forth. And the, the game went to double overtime, the first playoff game to ever go to double overtime right. in the NFL. And Justin Tucker hit that field goal at the end after Corey Graham intercepted Peyton Manning. And that was, they knocked off those Broncos who at that time were the juggernauts of the AFC people called them. And then yeah. they went to new England the next week and knocked off Tom Brady. So it was kind of that magical playoff run of knocking off, you know, contender after contender after contender and sending out Ray Lewis on top. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a thing. Corey Graham, former Bear, uh, doing things. Yep. Uh, just when we thought we couldn't use him anymore, he goes off and plays <laughs> in the NFL for like ten more years uh, after we let him go. Like, yeah, good call, good call on that one. We we, right. we couldn't he, use he him. He was a good one. Him him and Brendan Ibendagio were both really good yes. for us. Um, two two good special teamers who. People saw them get signed and like who the who the heck are these guys? Like they're just gonna play special teams, like whatever. I am Indejo was a really good special teamer for a, a really long time in yeah. Baltimore. But Corey Graham got slot snaps for a while and he played really well at that position. So two underrated signings at the beginning that really turned out really well. Yeah, he was uh, he was kind of uh, he was a special teamer primarily for the Bears. He did occasionally play in some coverage uh, and everything, but that kind of became what his career was. After he left Chicago, starting with Baltimore, because he played for several years, even after he left Baltimore and like Philadelphia, and I think maybe even Buffalo or something like that before he finally yep. uh, hung it up. But he became like a, a nickel guy once he after he left Chicago. So 
You know, and I am Badejo, he was a pro bowler for the Bears, special teams wise, before mm-hmm. um, he just became, I guess, too expensive to keep. Uh, and then he went and, and, you know, was a Pro Bowl specialist for other teams before hanging it up uh, for us. So, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't a fan of him leaving. I, I, I was I was not happy about that. So uh, anyway, um, yeah, I, I remember that mile high miracle uh, game. I remember that I was at the I made the decision to go to the movies and ended up missing out on one of the more classic playoff games in in <laughs> recent NFL Memory, just because I thought, not because I didn't think anything of the Ravens, but just because, you know, that was Peyton's first year in Denver, and he hit the ground running with the Broncos. I mean, and not only did they have an amazing year in 2012, they did it again in 2013, where they had literally the best offense of all time before they got smashed in the Super Bowl by the Seahawks uh, that year. So I just thought that Manning was just going to sling it around the field, and that was going to be that. And, you know, I was looking forward to Broncos-Patriots in the AFC Championship game the following week, only the Joe Flacco and the Ravens had a thing or two to say about that, and uh, instead they they adjusted my plans. So I still got to watch Brady lose, thank God, uh, but uh, you know it wasn't uh, my 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 other favorite player, Peyton Manning, uh, doing the uh, doing the winning. So anyway, l- let's talk about these these Ravens of yours. I mean, 2019 and uh, just an unbelievable year. Uh, Lamar Jackson takes the league by storm. He's the MVP. The Ravens are 14 and two. There really isn't anything they can't do. And then we get into that playoff game uh, against Tennessee and they just happen to be like the Ravens whisperers on, on that particular night where everything they did went right and nothing the Ravens could do, uh, you know, went well and uh, they get, they get ousted and then they come back in 2020 and right off the bat appear to be the same team with, with with super easy wins over Cleveland and Houston, and then you go to Kansas City on Monday Night Football, and that's where things kind of change for the team, or for is like the outlook of of the Ravens, where it just like okay, so they are human after all. Yeah, that that Kansas City game was somewhat of a turning point, and I think you saw it go for a couple months after it, and obviously, you know, the, the whole COVID situation, the Ravens had to help anything, right? But the Ravens, that Houston win was a good one, but they ended up losing Tavon Young for the season with another knee injury, his third season ender in five years. He's been in the NFL. He's one of the better slot cornerbacks in the league. And so what that made the Ravens do is put Marlon Humphrey on the inside where he was primarily their slot guy in, in most, not all, but most situations. Marlon Humphrey's a better outside corner. He, he's a good slot corner too, but it kind of started to stretch the Ravens' cornerback depth a little bit. And then you mentioned the Kansas City game. Baltimore just could not generate any pressure on Patrick Mahomes. And if you want to beat Patrick Mahomes in that Kansas City offense, you have to be able to generate pressure without blitzing. Because if you blitz, he will pick apart that defense. He's done it. The the Ravens, they played Kansas City. This will be the fourth straight year in 2021. They have lost the previous three matchups. And the they've had like one bad quarter each time this also happened in 2020 and then it just became you know Patrick Queen was getting burnt and you know going up against Andy Reid and Andy Reid offense and Patrick Mahomes and your third week as a starting rookie is not always ideal he learned a lot of lessons that game he and fellow Ricky Millie Harrison got benched in that game because they just could not stop anything they were getting toasted but then you started to see the Ravens not go away from what their identity was in 2019, but 
I mean, a lot of people thought, hey, this team had historic rushing numbers in 2019. They yeah. were just blowing teams away by running the football really well. Not saying they can't pass the ball, but it's obvious that the strength of this team is running the football, and that's not a bad thing. But then you start to see the Ravens a tiny, tiny bit begin to force the football to be thrown. And I, it's almost like, to me, they're trying to tell teams, hey, look, we can do this too. Like, we can run the football, but we can throw it too. And it, it just wasn't working. So what you saw over the back half of the 2020 season, really after the whole COVID situation happened, the Ravens win their last five games to get into the playoffs – they start running the football a lot more effectively, and they let the pass game feed off of it instead of forcing the football down the field. And that's where I think the the season was really won for them because they go through the COVID thing. They play with what a lot of people called their quadruple A squad against Pittsburgh in that Wednesday afternoon game that yeah. I don't think we'll ever see in that time slot again for a long time. And then they just dominate on the ground and they let the passing offense feed off of it. So that's where I expect this team to go in 2021. But in 2020, it really was a tale of a, a great start, kind of an in, in inefficient middle and then a great end. And then they get that first playoff win against Tennessee. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a, a very up and down uh, season, like you like you mentioned, because after after that first loss to Kansas City, they they rebound with three wins in a row before their before the bye week, and then when they come back from the bye, it's it's a bookend. They, they lose four out of five games. They start with the loss in Pittsburgh. They beat Indy, and then three straight losses at, in, at New England versus Tennessee at uh, Pittsburgh, that, that weird Wednesday game where they just kept, they just kept pushing it back. They're pushing it back, pushing it back. Okay, well, Wednesday we'll go ahead uh, and do it, and they played, and it says, yeah, 3.40 p.m., uh, Eastern, and I remember that I was sitting here in, in my living room looking for something to watch as I, you know, I'm working from home uh, and everything. And there's a football game on NBC. I'm like, okay, I'll watch this then. And then, you know, it was the Ravens and the Steelers in a uh, in an empty Heinz Field, which was so depressing to look at. Just empty stadiums all over the league, um, you know. And it was the you know the Steelers come out, and I think it was was it their last win. Like what? Didn't that make them eleven and zero before they finally lost the game or something like that? Yeah, yeah. And okay. then the next week they lost to Washington. Washington, and yeah. Chase Chase Young and and a couple other guys said Baltimore exposed some things, and pretty much gave Baltimore credit for exposing things about the Steelers' offense that they could exploit and they won that game and yeah so I, some people say oh the Ravens won that game for Washington so that was kind of the start of the fall for Pittsburgh and then we all know what happened during wildcard weekend right right so then as you said they finish it off with uh with five wins in a row starting with another with a Tuesday game this time so <laughs> they you know didn't have to wait all the way till Wednesday to play beating the Cowboys and then at Cleveland, one of my favorite games from last year was that Monday mm-hmm. night game uh, at Cleveland where it just seemed like an old Madden game where whoever has the ball last is going to win uh, <laughs> this thing. 47-42, to 42, you know, they damn near broke the scoreboard scoring touchdowns uh, in that one. Then Jacksonville, the Giants, and Cincinnati before uh, exacting revenge on the Titans in the wild card round and uh, moving on to Buffalo, who were just a little too much in that divisional round. What, what went wrong there was it Buffalo's defense because I see it was seventeen to three the final score there. You know I, I give credit to Buffalo. You know I, I think they did what they were supposed to do, but honestly I believe the Ravens beat themselves more than Buffalo beat them. Mm-hmm. The Ravens on the defensive side of the ball, 
I mean, they were lights out for most of the game. They they had a couple of mishaps. They had like one corner on one side of the field where the Bills scored a touchdown because they had two receivers on that side of the field and the Ravens literally said, all right, one cornerback go out there and cover two receivers. It just was not going to work. But their defense played relatively well for the most part. The Ravens offensive line was putting it nicely atrocious. And it, it, it was a really rough game because it seemed like Lamar Jackson had literally no time to throw the ball. His snaps were getting thrown, you know, left, right. One went over his head and and ended up giving him a concussion, knocking him out of the game. And there was one play, you know, everybody, I think, looks back to that Buffalo game and and remembers the pick six that Lamar Jackson threw in the red zone. Yeah. The play before that, the play before that, Lamar Jackson had a streaking Marquise Brown from the right side of the field over to the left side of the field, wide open, nobody covering him. But pressure got into his face so fast that the Ravens ended up missing that throw. Lamar Jackson ended up missing that throw because Tyree Phillips, the right tackle, whiffed on a block. J.K. Dobbins, the next man up, whiffed on that block. So then Lamar Jackson has to make a bad throw. He doesn't get the completion. That's a touchdown. But at the end of the day, the Ravens throw that pick six. That's what people remember instead of that. So I think Buffalo did a great job. But at the end of the day, I think the Ravens beat themselves. And they they, they addressed that in the offseason, their offensive line. Yeah, and now I was just looking at that. But, I mean, I, I remember that moment because it was a 14-point swing on that on that drive because it was 10-3 to 3, uh, at the time. The Ravens score, we're looking at a tie ball game. that was in the fourth quarter, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. So it goes from being a possible tie game to all of a sudden it's a – it's a two-point deficit on the road, you know, against the good football team, yep. and that was pretty much game over from that point. I mean, also the play itself was one of those that can just suck the life out of a football team that late in the game. For him to to the for the defender to take the ball back, literally the length of the entire field, because it was a eighty-plus yard uh, interception. Uh, return. It, it is one of those things that just zaps the life. Like the further he gets down the field, the 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 closer the end of your season, you know, nears when you're watching a play like that unfold in front of you. Yeah, and I think the whole thing was they were struggling to move the ball for most of the game, and then they finally get down in the red zone, and that's what happens. You miss a wide open touchdown, and then the next play, it's a pick six. And you're right. I think it just. Sucked the life out of them. There was another play when Lamar Jackson got injured where Tyler Huntley, who was the backup quarterback who came in, had a wide open Marquise Brown. Marquise Brown was wide open for a lot of the game. And he ended up missing him just by a hair. It was it was a go route just straight down the field. Tyler Huntley misses him by an inch. And, you know, the, it was just missed opportunities the whole way for the Ravens. So they learned from that. You know, I think they addressed what they needed to in the offseason to get better. And with improvement from their guys, I think that they'll avoid that type of loss again. Yeah, and when and when you see things like that happening, uh, you know, missing out on open open wide receiver on on multiple uh, attempts, whether it be you know the the coverage just didn't hold up on that particular play, the guy made the throw, but it was two inches too far. It just boils down to what helps what helps a, a guy on the losing end of a situation like that sleep at night. It just wasn't our day. It just wasn't meant for us to win. That it was, it was, it was for them to win. So that's how that's how you live with it, as opposed to just beating yourself up over the mistakes. It was their day. It wasn't meant for us to to come away with the win. We'll be back in twenty twenty one, bigger and better. Yeah, and, and that's what happened. Ex- exactly what happened during the twenty eleven twenty twelve season. You know, Billy Cundiff. Well, first of all, Lee Evans 
makes that huge drop. It's a touchdown, then he drops it, then it's not. And then Billy Cundiff comes on the field, misses that chip shot field goal. Mm-hmm. Ray Lewis told the Ravens after that, you know, he said this wasn't our year, but we're going to come back stronger in the next year they won the Super Bowl. So they there are always those types of games. You know, there's only one champion at the end of the year. Right. All these teams won it really badly. Now it's up to the Ravens, and it was up to Baltimore to fill those holes in free agency, get better up front, and I think they did that. So how different is the offensive line uh, going to look? Because I see that, you know, obviously the Orlando Brown trade was, uh, you know, one of the highlights of the pre-draft uh, season. Like, you know, the fact that he got traded uh, traded away, you guys got a first-round pick uh, out of it. Or did you get two? Was it Just two? one. Just, Just one. one. Um, but So you got the 31 overall from the uh, – from the Chiefs on that one for Orlando Brown, who wanted to stay at left tackle. Basically, he didn't want to give Ronnie Stanley his spot back when he was healthy again. So they trade him away. He's uh, he's now with the uh, with the Chiefs. I see DJ Fluker's gone. Max Skura's gone. You bring in um, uh, Alejandro Villanueva, which is you know a lifelong Steeler. Now he's coming in to play for you guys. Uh, Kevin Zeitler, uh, Zeitler comes in as well. You know how how different is that offensive line? Uh, going to look because so you also got Schofield from Carolina as well yeah it, it's gonna look really different um in terms of what the Ravens line looks like at the end of 2020 so in that 2021 game against uh the Bills they had from left to right Orlando Brown Jr. left tackle Bradley Bozeman at left guard they had Patrick McCarry at center they had Ben Powers at right guard and they had they had that combination of Tyree Phillips and DJ Fluker at right tackle. Now the Ravens are getting Ronnie Stanley back, which he is one of the best, if not the best tackles in the NFL. Sure. So they're getting him back at left tackle and they're going to probably have a battle. I call it the battle between the three Bens, Ben Cleveland, Ben Powers, and Ben Bredesen for the left guard job because the Ravens are moving their former left guard, Bradley Bozeman, back to his natural position at center. Then he played center at the University of Alabama, but the Ravens ended up moving him over to guard. Now they want him back at center. The Ravens had a ton of center issues last season. I mentioned the snaps. It was not just Macari in that playoff game. Matt Skura had Lamar Jackson looking like Odo Beckham out there because he had one-hand snaps to, like, for, to his left side, to his right side uh, up ahead of him. He had to jump for snaps. So they're hoping Bozeman can be a steady, consistent contributor there. Then at right guard, Zeitler, as you mentioned, Kevin Zeitler, I think he'll be a phenomenal veteran presence. And Alejandro Villanueva, the, the former lifelong Steeler, as you yeah. said, he'll be coming in there and providing a veteran presence. And then Michael Schofield as well. He'll, I, it's, it's difficult, though, because they, they have a lot of depth there, which might mean they have to make some tough decisions. But positionally, from a starter perspective, they're going to have new guys at every single position based off of what they had at the end of the 2020 season in that playoff game, except Bradley Bozeman is going to be moving from left guard to center. That's the only player who's going to be the consistent guy. So is, is Villanueva going to be, is he a depth guy or is he coming in to play at right tackle since Stanley's going to take the left side again? Cause that's a, not only is he a lifelong stealer, he's also a lifelong left tackle. What are we looking from Villanueva to do? Yeah, so he he the plan for him is to play right tackle. Okay, um, there, Stanley is the by far and away the, the left tackle. They wouldn't have traded Orlando Brown Jr. if they had any of inkling of saying, yeah. "Hey, you know, maybe we'll give him the left tackle spot." Orlando Brown Jr. wanted to fulfill his lifelong dream, his dad's dream for him, the late Orlando Brown Sr. of him being a left tackle in the NFL. You know, there have been countless stories Orlando Brown Jr. has told about his dad when Orlando Brown Jr was in youth football leagues going up to coaches and saying, look, if my son isn't playing on the left side, put him on defense because left tackle is the premier position. I don't want him playing anything but left tackle. So 
Orlando Brown Jr. apparently didn't win that job and was placed on defense. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to fulfill his father's dream for him. You know, he said he has nothing but love for the organization, for Eric DaCosta, for his teammates. But it just wasn't the right fit for him in terms of what he was trying to do from a career perspective to honor his father. So Villanueva is going to come in and play right tackle. I think he's undergoing that transition right now. It's, it's a little more difficult than I think people do do anticipate. Oh, yeah. But I, I have confidence. And if Stanley if Stanley hasn't played a full season, well, I, I would say 16-game season, but now we're into the 17-game thing. He, he hasn't played a full season in the NFL over his first few years in the league. So if Ronnie Stanley does go down, Villanueva can move over to that left side where he is very familiar. And then the Ravens, I think, have a lot of trust in former third round. Now second-year guy, Tyree Phillips, who struggled. He struggles with foot speed, but has been working really hard. It seems like the team is very confident in him, and he looks to be their backup plan. But they have guys who can move all over the line. Patrick McCarry was a tackle in college. He can play all five positions on the line. Schofield can play some tackle as well. So for Villanueva, it looks like it's right tackle. But if Stanley does go down or isn't ready for week one in some circumstance, he can move over to the left side and still play there. Yeah, not a lot of tackles on the right side making $22 million a year like David Bakhtiari is uh, on the left side. So I, I know where Orlando Brown's coming from, you know, looking into the crystal ball. As those, those guys are the quarterbacks of the offensive line as far as how they get paid. If you're protecting the quarterback's blind side, you're going to be, you know, in, enormously compensated uh, if you can do it well. And uh, he's going to be moving around to uh, – take care of what uh, what might be the best quarterback in the NFL right now in uh, in Mahomes and I'm sure that when his contract comes up he will be looking to get Patrick Mahomes kind of money <laughs> to 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 cover his backside so but I mean it's as and and I can um, you know back you up on what you were saying before the transition from left to right um, I was a left tackle in school um, and um, I can tell you that uh, there were some times where they wanted me to where we would run like a play and they would want me to be on the right side. And it felt like the other side of the moon, uh, you know, cause we, we would left side, you put your left hand in the ground you know, there's different footwork and, and all that kind of stuff that takes place. They move you over to the right side and all of a sudden you have to do everything backwards. You know, your mm-hmm. right hand's going down. The first step that comes back is the right one instead of the left and things like that. It, 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 it was really awkward on those few situations where they needed me to switch over to the, to the other side uh, of the line. And it oddly, it was the same thing in college. I was a guard uh, in college going from left guard to right guard also felt weird putting my right hand down, putting, you know, it's the right hand that goes back instead of the, or the right leg, the right foot that goes back instead of the left one right. uh, and everything. It's, it's not as easy as it sounds just like, okay, well you just go over, over to that side. Unless that's something you've been doing, your career is, is moving around. It's, it's going to feel weird. So like an Orlando Brown, who was a lifelong uh, left tackle having to switch to the right side to make room for Ronnie Stanley. You know, that's probably why he was so adamant about it. He's like, I suck on the right side. I want to play on the left because this is what I know. This is how I feel. This is natural to me playing on the right side. Just, it doesn't, doesn't feel right. Yeah. So. And I mean, to, to his credit, Orlando Brown Jr. did a phenomenal job on the right side for the Ravens, learning that, that position mm-hmm. and, and doing all that stuff backwards. I give him a lot of credit for doing that. And obviously, you know, is a rookie, you know, so, some players are like, you know, I'll do, I'll do anything for the team. And, and that's great, but he established himself. And then Ronnie Stanley goes down. He's not able to play. And I believe it was week 
four against Washington. That's when he wasn't able to play. It was the game against Washington. Orlando Brown Jr. gets a taste of playing on the left side. The Ravens flipped him over there. Then Stanley comes back. He goes down against Pittsburgh. And then Orlando Brown Jr. looks at what he did during the 2020 season on the left side and said, hey, I, I can still do it. I still have it on the left side. And I think that's really where it started to to come together for him. Like, look, I, I want to play on the left side. I want to do this. But he's a swing guy now. I mean, if the Chiefs needed him to, he could play on the right side. Now, I don't think they're going to do that because it would not make Brown happy, I don't believe. Right. But, he, he did a really good job on the right side for the Ravens. Having Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown Jr. is the bookend guys for a couple of years was an absolute pleasure in Baltimore. Yeah, nice problem to have. Nice problem yeah, to, exactly. to have. And the other, you know, big signing um, for the uh, for the Ravens uh, free agency-wise of bringing in Sammy Watkins. Like, what is it with Baltimore and having trouble finding a receiver worth keeping? Because you've spent first-round picks on it in 2015. Uh, you guys made the same mistake we did and took a receiver in the in the first round. Of course, our mistake was Kevin White. Yours was Perriman, right? Uh, yeah, in, exactly. in the first round, and I don't think it was injuries that decimated his career, but he just didn't get off the he didn't get get off the starting block, just kind of like Kevin White did. Kevin White couldn't get on the field. The guy just had the worst luck uh, with injuries uh, when he came to Chicago. Perriman, on the hand, other hand, was a different story, wasn't he? Well, Perriman actually, so his rookie season, he missed all of it. Um, okay, so he, that's exactly a, what he, Kevin White did. Yeah. Yeah, so the Ravens classified. He he, he jumped up for a, a pass or something. I think it was like a deep ball. He lands it on his knee awkwardly. Mm. They classified it as a PCL spray, and they said, oh, he'll be back in, in a week or two weeks. And it, oh, it wow. just kept getting pushed back, and there was no timetable. And, and he missed his entire rookie year with that PCL sprain. And then it, a lot of it was drops. He, he couldn't really get off the drop train. He, he kept dropping passes that were easily catchable, couldn't get open at times. And, yeah, the Ravens declined his fifth-year option. He ends up signing and, and doing a pretty good job at a couple other places. He signed with Tampa. He's been with Cleveland. He's done a lot of good things. Now he's in Detroit. He's, he played with the Jets last season. But I think that it just wasn't the right the right fit in Baltimore for Perriman. I mean, you could say the same with Darren Waller. And now look what he's doing in Las Vegas. Right. So... The Ravens and Perriman, yeah, they <laughs> getting a receiver over the past couple seasons has been rough for them. A lot of fans have been clamoring, you know, where's the number one wide receiver? Where is it? Because it's been it's been a long time. They've tried Michael Crabtree. They've tried Jeremy Macklin. You know, they, they want that guy who's going to be an Anquan Bolden or even dating back further, a Derek Mason, a Steve Smith senior. But they haven't really been able to get it. You know, they've tried a bunch of different things. And now the 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 whole thing with Julio Jones was like, all right, you have the guy in front of you who you can get. Why don't you get him? He's a true number one. The Ravens don't pull the trigger on that deal. They apparently, you know, the, the reports were that Juju Smith-Schuster and T.Y. Hilton both turned down deals from Baltimore to re-sign with the Steelers and the Colts, respectively. So that left them with Sammy Watkins, who I think is is – a good signing, but I don't. He's not the long term answer. The the longer term answer who could really develop into that wide receiver one is Rashad Bateman, the twenty seventh overall selection. Right. Who really, I don't think a lot of people expected him to fall to Baltimore at twenty seven. There were some who said he was a second round guy, but really the whole draft process had him going in in the nineteen twenty twenty one range. And so he gets to Baltimore. The Ravens take him. Super, super smooth route runner. He has cuts. 
He does a lot of different things in terms of getting open down the field. He's, he's not a burner, but it kind of complements what Watkins does because both those guys can play on the outside. The Ravens were playing with a lot of guys who were in the slot in 2020. They were moving them to the outside. And so you had a bunch of slot guys playing on the outside, like Marquise Brown, like Devin DuVernay. Willie Sneed had a couple snaps out there too. So now if you get pure outside guys, you know, that helps a lot because you can move Marquise Brown into the slot where I think he's a better receiver. Watkins has had a couple of struggles with injuries. He's not been the most healthy guy over the the course of his career, but he's someone who is now the veteran in that room, can provide some leadership. He is seemingly bought into the culture. And so with all things considered with how the Ravens really played with this free agent market in terms of not really doing a lot, I think they believe in a lot of the players on their team and missing out on a couple guys. I I think Watkins was, I'm not going to call him a consolation prize because I think he's good enough to not be one, but he's someone who I think is going to make an impact. And, you know, I've, you know, you're right about Sammy Watkins is like injuries kind of ruined his time uh, in Buffalo, but he still played well enough to get a good deal out of the Chiefs when he went to them a few years ago, uh, played uh, for a Super Bowl winning team in, in 2019 uh, before moving out in, in free agency this this uh, this past season. So not only is he the veteran in the room, he's also been where everybody wants to go and can share that knowledge with the team. Uh, and the younger guys in there as well. And as far as Rashad Bateman, trust me, I know he was supposed to go in the 19-20-21 range because for a long time in many mock drafts when my Bears were picking at 20, a lot of people like to give us Rashad Bateman to make room for what was supposed to be the inevitable loss of Allen Robinson. So, uh, you know, I know that Bateman was going to be one of those guys that should be going in that mid to, you know, upper late part of the of the first round because he kept getting mocked to the Bears over and over again, uh, when uh, which aggravated me not because of the player but because of the position. I wanted an offensive tackle uh, at twenty, so uh, which turned out to work out pretty well uh, for us because uh, if the Bears had stayed at twenty instead of trading up for uh, Justin Fields, the guy that I wanted at twenty was Tevin Jenkins, and it just fate just happened to coincide that he was still there in the second round, and the Bears were able to get him. So not only did we get Fields, but we got Tevin Jenkins uh, as well. So my outlook on 2021 changed in 24 hours from the moment we drafted Fields to the moment we drafted Tevin Jenkins. <laughs> it went from, oh boy, 2021 is going to be something to all of a sudden be like, dude, is tw- can it get here already? Can we just, <laughs> you know, can the season get started so I can see what these kids can do out here uh, on the field? But one last thing before we move on to the um, before we move on to the draft um, and, and dig in a little deeper on your class there, the guys that left, you know, Willie Sneed is gone. Mark Ingram uh, is gone. Matt Judon is gone. Yannick Ngakwe was like one, a uh, one year rental uh, kind of thing. W- what are we doing to, you know, to, to make up for, for these losses? I know Mark Ingram wasn't the biggest part of your running game, but he was a part of it. Yeah. I, I think, the, the losses that Baltimore will feel the most are definitely with the pass rushers in Judon and Ngakwe and, and even Jihad Ward there too. Three guys who can get to the quarterback. And the Ravens did not address the pass rush position in the offseason. A lot of people well, in the free agency period, the Ravens, you know, they, they were linked to Justin Houston. They brought him in for a visit. Melvin Ingram, you know, a couple other guys who signed earlier. They decided to fill it through the draft and through re-signing their own guys. And Judon and Ngakwe, 
both of those guys leave. And to be fair, Ngakwe didn't work out the way I think a lot of Ravens fans expected him to. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like he was he was a fingernail away or a hair away from a ton of sacks, but just could never get there. And that's really been the story for Baltimore over the last couple of seasons. Is they they are great at generating pressure but they can never get the quarterback down. And Judon, they're losing their sack leader from 2020, who had six. So their sack leader was six, you know, not a huge number. Jihad Ward had three, and Ngakwe had three for Baltimore. So they're losing 12 sacks there, but how are they making up that production? They're going to give Tyus Bowser, who I think has come on very strong over these last couple years, a bigger role. Jalen Ferguson, who is struggled a bit but also shown some flashes he's going to get a much bigger role Adafi Owe and we'll talk about him a bit when we get into the draft class but they're going to rely on him he's he's raw as a pass rusher though he's someone who is a disruptor can set the edge very well and is a good run defender can also drop back into coverage but is a pass rusher he's only he's only been playing football for I believe five years so he has a lot to learn Mm. he's he's a bit of a raw guy Pernell McPhee you don't want him playing too much you can also move him inside Dalen Hayes is someone who the Ravens took in the fifth round of 2021. He's more of a developmental guy. So a lot of people look to Justin Houston, who has 97 and a half career sacks over his 10 years in the NFL, and look at the Ravens roster and say, well, adding an experienced veteran there would be pretty nice. But the Ravens trust their guys. It seems like they're going to give them a chance. And then maybe, you know, week four, week five, they're going to say, hey, we're really missing Judon right now. We're, we're really missing Ngakwe right now. Maybe we should go out and make a move for a pass rusher. Sneed, the Ravens, I don't think are going to miss too much. It really seems inevitable that Devin DuVernay was going to take over that, you know, slot role from Sneed. And and Brown is going to be the main guy there, I feel like, in 2021. But they'll be just fine with DuVernay as opposed to Sneed. And you mentioned Ingram. Yeah, Mark Ingram, I think a lot of of people forget that he had a pretty – brutal injury you know not one that was you know this horrible tear or anything but he had a really bad leg injury that ended up happening it was non-contact against Cleveland in week 16 and missed the two weeks leading up to the Tennessee game in the divisional round never really looked like himself he was massaging it it was a calf injury so those things can be a little tricky mm. and really didn't look like himself during the 2020 season didn't have that same burst and really struggled. I mean, a, a lot of people came up with the notion that, hey, you know, Mark Ingram and two yards on first down, name a better duo. And he really struggled. The Ravens ended up making him an inactive an, an for most of their games in the back half of the season because Justice Hill, who ended up being their third round, their third down back for the end of that year, could play special teams as well. So you got value out of him and he could also play some third down as well. So Ingram's not going to be a big loss on the field, off the field. He was he was loved by everyone yeah. in that locker room. Really helped turn some of the Ravens' culture around. Not that it was bad or anything, but his presence off the field. He, he was the hype man. He was always the veteran in, in the room and always providing some great sound bites. So I know his presence off the field is going to be really missed by this team. And I think that's an underrated part of it, too. The Ravens have one of the best cultures in the NFL. And Ingram, I think, contributed a lot to that. And he had, he had 15 total touchdowns in 2019 on the field, too. So it's not like he was a bad player then at all. But in 2020, it, it just didn't seem like he had it. Yeah, yeah. And that, unfortunately, it happens with uh... – with running backs, it's for for whatever reason that that position seems to age faster than just about any other in in football. You can be here today, uh, gone tomorrow. I mean, look at guys like you know um, uh, Alexander from the Seahawks uh, back in the day. Larry Johnson, you know, it just seemed like they were on top of the world in you know in in two thousand five, and then the next thing you know, you know, and the MVP all of a sudden can't 
can't make a roster uh, all of a sudden is nowhere near worth the money that he was signed for and uh, and things like that. It's just one of those things that comes along with that position. They probably take more punishment than just about anybody uh, on a play-to-play basis, especially when they handle uh, the football. So you see it happen a lot uh, with uh, with running backs. And in today's NFL, that makes them easily replaceable and very interchangeable. And it's unfortunate uh, for them because my favorite player of all time, of course, as a Bears fan is Walter Walter Payton, and and I wonder how he would how he would you know manage in an NFL uh, like today, where you know it's it's not three yards in a cloud of dust. It isn't you know just you know we we run to pass as opposed to in the NFL they pass to run uh, these days. Except for in Baltimore, where they still are old school <laughs> and they run to pass uh, uh, kind of thing, and and also with Ingram, like you said, uh, how many times? I mean, he was like Lamar Jackson's number one hype man he was the one that was leading the charge to basically like everyone know it's going to be okay like with this kid is going to be fantastic he's going to be great because there were still some doubts about Lamar Jackson maybe he's a little too light and you know he all that running that he did in college is going to get him killed in the NFL and uh, you know all that kind of stuff and then in 2019 not only was he fantastic he was literally the best player in football and was the MVP yeah and and that's an aspect that I think people don't understand uh, as much as I think they could, because with a player like Jackson, who at the time, you know, his second year was his MVP season. So Mm -hmm. you need a lot of guys around you who can help you succeed, not only on the field, but off of it as well. And, you know, I give credit to guys like Joe Flacco, who I'm sure wasn't, you know, the happiest guy in the world in 2018, seeing the Ravens draft, who I think he knew was his replacement. And Robert Griffin III, who I think came into Baltimore and really helped him as someone who kind of was in that running quarterback mold and, you know, was injured a lot. And I think Robert Griffin III helped him protect his body, Lamar Jackson protect his body a lot more. And now what Lamar Jackson has done is he's thrived and and really turned into a really good all-around quarterback. People bash on his passing skills. It's just a tired argument to me because, you know, they're not looking at stats. They're not looking at throws. He can throw the football very well. Mm -hmm. He's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. He has stuff to improve on for sure. He's not, not, you know, free of all criticism. But he's someone who can help his passing game out with his legs and also help his offense out because he is such a threat both running and passing the football. Yeah, and I, I think one of the maybe the knocks on on Lamar Jackson is not necessarily um, you know, his ability to throw the ball. It's like his actual throwing motion is not the prettiest. So it doesn't look natural like it does with a lot of uh of quarterbacks. It almost looks like a little awkward, like he's got maybe like a hitch in his in his throwing motion or or something like that. You know, kind of and not the same, but kind of like Bernie Kosar. He just had the ugliest delivery on the planet, but somehow it was always where it needed to be. Also like like Philip Rivers as well. It's just an ugly delivery. It's like how the hell is he throwing it like that? And yet he threw it on a dime where no one else could put it, and it was exactly where it needed it to be, a tenth of an inch in, in either direction, and the defender knocks it away or the, the, the receiver doesn't catch it. He put it right where it needed to be, despite how ugly the throw itself looked to begin with. Yeah, I, yeah it, it's interesting because, you know, with Lamar Jackson, you see a lot of a lot of throws where he's, you know, flicking the wrist and it's going 70 yards and dropping right in the right. basket. I don't, I don't know if ugly is the word I want to use for his delivery, but what I will say is that he gets a lot of criticism for the way his passes look in yeah. terms of spiral. 
And, you know, the the people call Peyton Manning the duck king because, you know, <laughs> he would throw those ducks and they would get, it didn't matter. They would get there. Right. Like, uh, to me, it doesn't matter how a pass looks as long as it gets to a receiver and they can catch the football. There was there was a clip earlier in the offseason that the Ravens posted of Lamar Jackson throwing to Sammy Watkins. And look, it, it was a wobbly pass. Like, I'm not going to say it wasn't. But a lot of people got on the Ravens social media team and said, why would you post this? Why would you do the quarterback like this? And, and you know, other people were like, it, it got to Sammy Watkins. He caught the football. What's the big deal? So I don't know if like delivery is the, is the main thing I see when I hear yeah. about people talking about Lamar Jackson and his throwing. But I, I see the, the wobblers, the ducks. People will call him out for that and say, yeah, that's such an ugly throw because not the way he threw it, but because it looks like it's just dying in midair. But it gets there and, and it's accurate. And he he pinpoints those balls really well too so i think that's what i see yeah and, and I'm, I'm thinking like more of like maybe casual uh people who don't really understand uh the position or understand football very well like maybe uh you know subconsciously the, you know they they think he can't throw the ball because it you know the, the throwing motion doesn't look like you know some other uh some other quarterbacks and everything and and they 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 see the ducks and and things like that and be like you know he's he's lucky he's not good uh kind of thing his luck will run out and then he'll just be a run of the mill uh quarterback and what are they going to do when you know when when it comes to that and everything he'll just keep winning mvps uh i guess yeah. so they want to yeah. keep pushing him you know on that mean? one to your point, the, the throwing motion for Jackson has been criticized a bit because what he'll do is sometimes he'll go into this sidearm thing yeah. where he'll completely alter his throwing motion to try to fit it into a window, and that sometimes results in inaccurate throws. Mm -hmm. And I think what they've been trying to do with him, the development teams and his coaches, has, have been working with him to kind of get him out of that habit because, I mean, sometimes you have to alter your arm a little bit to throw the football, but he'll just drop that elbow down all the way and he'll deliver it though. And sometimes, I mean, some of the most spectacular throws I've seen from him have come with that sidearm. But at the same time, some of the worst have also come because he's tried to sidearm flick it and, and it just doesn't work out. So from that perspective, yeah, definitely. But I think it, it, it's really helped him to kind of, you know, be in the league for a few years, figure out that, hey, that doesn't, it might've worked in college, but for the most part, NFL defenders won't let that fly in the league. Right. <laughs> this episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by... The Spotify Green Room, formerly known as the Locker Room app, guys. Spotify Green Room is a live audio only sports talk platform, free to download and use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app, start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games, and of course, I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify Green Room. The Bears Talk Underground presents Club 34-7. Be sure and join me. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link to your Twitter, and join into the group. Follow me to be notified when my room goes live. And, of course, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern is when Club 34-7 uh, hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys. You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the uh, on the app so that you'll know anytime that I go live because uh, we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason. We'll be doing uh, knee-jerk reactions during halftime uh, during the season and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities. 
possibilities for interaction between me and you, my loyal audience. So be sure and download the Spotify Green Room app wherever you get your apps. <laughs> this episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by Kansas City Steaks. Kansas City Steak Company wants to make this your best grilling season ever. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com and get 15% off your order and free shipping with the code SD at checkout. From classic steak cuts to USDA Prime to hard-to-find specialty cuts and more, Kansas City Steaks has everything you need to fire up the grill. These are steakhouse-quality steaks aged to perfection. They make it so easy each order is flash-frozen and delivered directly. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Enjoy their butter-tender filet mignon, hearty Kansas City steak strip steaks, and savory ribeyes. It's been a hard year, so enjoy being together again by bringing the steakhouse to your house with Kansas City Steaks. Go to KansasCitySteaks.com and get 15% off your order and free shipping with the code SD at checkout. That's KansasCitySteaks.com, code SD. Yeah, well, I'm a believer, and because I was a skeptic, you know, when, when he joined the league, um, just because, you know, I thought he might be another Vince Young or another Robert uh, Griffin-type player who was known more for his feet in college than he was. You know, a talented arm, the guy can throw it, you know, from one side of the field to the uh, to the other and everything, that was never the question. It was just a matter of he won his Heisman on his feet, uh, not so much because of what he did throwing uh, the football. And, you know, he's made a believer out of me and quarterbacks of his ilk. You're seeing a lot more of them uh, uh, come in uh, to the league now, or at least teams are taking a chance on those guys. And I really respect what the Ravens did was that they built the offense around him. When they changed over from Flacco to Lamar Jackson, they built the, the the team around him. They focused more on the running game, so they beefed up the offensive line. They went out and got good tight ends, so the short passing game would would you know would help and kind of open up uh, the offense for him. As opposed to what I watched the Bears suffer through for years with Trubisky and trying to make him this this deep pocket passer when it was obvious that was not his strength. He was more of a a short passing kind of rollout kind of guy not so much running like Jackson does but they didn't tailor the offense to 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 his strengths and he struggled whereas the Ravens went all in on Lamar Jackson and what he does and they've had nothing but success with him 14 wins in his first full year uh, as a starter 11 wins back-to-back playoff appearances and uh, and things like that you know they really did their best to set up um, Jackson for success and it's paid dividends for them yeah, and that's the biggest thing. I mean, the Ravens, in their pursuit of Jackson, were very secretive. There there have been these fun little stories that have come out about how the Ravens wouldn't even meet with him because they didn't want teams to know he was in, they were interested in him. They they were that much of a believer in him. You know, they, they passed on him once, though. You know, they, they took Hayden Hurst right. and kind of and – then, then they traded up with Philadelphia back into the first round at 32. But, but I think that's it because – the Ravens weren't going to make Lamar Jackson into something he wasn't. They believed right. he had the arm talent. They believed he would be able to grow. And in 2018, back when it was still led by Flacco, when Lamar Jackson took over, he was running primarily an offense that was tailored to Joe Flacco. Right. And, you know, they kind of made it more simplistic and and they put in a few plays, you know, that, that would kind of cater to Jackson. But at that time, he was running an offense not built for him. He goes six and one with that loss being to Kansas City and ends up willing the Ravens back and winning the AFC North that year, which ended up really saving John Harbaugh's job. 
because at the end of the day, the Ravens, there were rumors starting to trick you, trickle in about Harbaugh maybe getting traded or getting fired. But Lamar Jackson saved John Harbaugh's job. Many do believe that was the case. They bring in the tight ends, as you talked about. They made the offense for Lamar Jackson. They brought in Greg Roman, who is yes. under his own scrutiny yeah, right now. Roman. But, you know, that's someone who helped in 2019 deliver a 14-2 and product, a historic offense. And now in 2021, they're hopefully adding into that passing game. They've brought in the coaches so that their run game can feed off of their pass game and their pass game can feed off of their run game. All in an offense that Jackson is familiar with. And he has the weapons around him now, both with the offensive line and the tight ends and the wide receivers and the running backs to be able to do some damage this year. Yeah, and then I think it speaks to the, the the humility and the lack of ego on the part of the coaches to tailor uh, the offense and what they do to their quarterback as opposed to trying to, like you said, trying to make him into something that he isn't, trying to make him into another uh, Joe Flacco, who is basically a statue behind the offensive line waiting for guys to get open uh, kind of thing. Joe not exactly known to be fleet of foot uh, and running around, uh, you know, getting first downs and everything. I'm, I'm sure he did it when he had to, but that wasn't what Lamar Jackson uh, was going to do. He wasn't going to sit back in the pocket and, you know, wait for the play to develop. He was, he's going to, if he doesn't see it, he's going to take off and, and run, and that's what made him the MVP uh, in 2019. You see so many teams... They get this guy, and instead of leaning into what he specialized in in college, they're like, okay, well, that's college. You're in the NFL now, and in the NFL, this is how we play quarterback, so that's what you're going to do, and then watch that guy become a bust uh, for him. So I just think it was, uh, you know, I always give the Ravens credit for what how they handled Jackson. They went all in uh, on him, and, and I also thought it was a brilliant move to bring in RG3, not only for, for past experience, but... God forbid Lamar Jackson goes down, you're bringing in a similar quarterback who can run a similar offense so the offense doesn't have to change overnight to cater to him. So I always thought it was a good idea that RG3 came in uh, as well uh, going forward. Uh, so who's who's the backup now? Because I know RG3 is unsigned and possibly going to be a, an analyst on television. Apparently he knocks the people's socks off with his audition uh, during the offseason. So he might not be playing anymore. Who's going to be your backup this year? Yeah, it, it's it's going to be a competition. So they have Trace McSorley, who they drafted a couple years ago out of Penn State. They also have Tyler Huntley, who Lamar Jackson and Tyler Huntley go back a ways. They ended up signing him as an undrafted free agent, was on the practice squad for a lot of the year. So it'll be a battle between those two. Both of them fit the Ravens system. I think they're both very confident in their abilities, but the team is confident in what they can do as well. And, you know, I, I think with Robert Griffin III gone, it, it's almost like a graduation for Lamar Jackson. Right now, he doesn't need that mentor-type sure. guy on the roster. He can he can do it all himself. Griffin was someone who struggled a bit when he came in and ended up playing for the Ravens, whether it be during that COVID game. He ended up only completing 8 of 14 passes last season through no touchdowns, two interceptions. So, you know, the quality of his play was deteriorating, but now I think the Ravens have two young backups they feel confident in. The debate is now, are they going to keep both of them? Are they going to keep one of them? They have a lot of depth in a lot of positions this year, so maybe they can only afford to keep one backup. But we'll see. I, I'm I'm confident that Huntley or McSorley, whoever ends up having the better training camp, the, the better preseason, can do a good job if Jackson were to miss any time. All right, so let's move on to the draft uh, real quick as we start to close things down here. Uh, with you, Kevin. Um, you know, we talked about Rashad. 
uh, Bateman. Don't think you were expecting him to be there at twenty at uh, twenty seven uh, with your with your first pick. You happily gobble him up. What were they mock? Who were they mocking to you guys uh, in in those in the mock drafts leading up to the to the draft? Did did Bateman fall to you? Was it the uh, the receiver that went to? The Jets uh, in the second round. I can't remember. Mel Kiper was all about this kid. He kept mentioning this this receiver over and over again. He goes to the Jets and and one of the top picks uh, in the second round. Who who were they mocking to the Ravens when when that was going down? Yeah, I, I think the better question might be who were they not mocking to the Ravens <laughs> because it was it, it it was everyone under the sun. It seemed like the Ravens had needs and people could identify those needs pretty easily. It was wide receiver. It was edge rusher. It was offensive tackle with the, with the departure of Orlando Brown. Sure, sure. It could have also gone with defensive line. People were kind of putting safety as a sneaky need. So it was anyone from Bateman. Terrace Marshall was super popular. Christian Barmore, the defensive tackle. They had, I think Elijah Moore was the receiver. That's who went it. To the Jets. Yes. Elijah Moore. Um, That's it. Yeah, he, he was there for Baltimore, too. Then the offensive tackles, Tevin Jenkins was a popular pick. If he fell and he did fall and the Ravens still didn't take him. Right. But some offensive tackles, Alex Leatherwood was there. There were a couple people mocking running backs like Najee Harris. I didn't see that as, as a possibility. The Ravens also, there there were centers, Creed Humphrey, Landon Dickerson, but his, <laughs> his, his, his injury history made it a little difficult to see him taken in the first round. Javon Merrick, Javon Holland, they were, there were corners. I mean, Caleb Fairley with, with his, with his injuries uh, ended up getting mocked there a couple times. And then edge rushers, Jalen Phillips. There were guys like Gregory Rousseau. Uh, Adafe Owe was mocked to Baltimore in some instances, although he went by Jason at the time, but now his name is Adafe. So that's what people are calling him. All these different players, and it, it would have made sense for most of them to get taken. Obviously, not a few of them, but they could have gone in any different direction. I think a lot of people, when the Ravens were first on the clock at 27 and they saw Bateman there, they're like, oh my God, like is this really happening? But other picks there, there were a lot of talented players who did fall. I know that Calais Campbell had hyped up Gregory Rousseau for some time with Campbell being a Miami alumni and, and Rousseau going there. And apparently the, the reports are that the Ravens wanted to take Bateman and then they were going to wait and they were going to risk it to see who out of the two of Adafi Owe and Gregory Rousseau were going to fall to them at 31. Rousseau goes at 30 to Buffalo. They get their guy in Adafi Owe at 31. But they had so many different guys mocked. I mean, even Kadarius Tony was someone who was a bit undersized as a receiver, but still thought that a lot of people thought he could have been a good fit in Baltimore's offense. So... Bateman, I think, was the right pick. He was the guy that I wanted all along for the Ravens. I think he, with with value, right? The Ravens weren't going to get a guy like Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle or right. Devonta Smith just based off of where they were in the draft. I, I didn't think they were going to give up that capital. But Bateman was someone who I, I could really have seen going to Chicago if they didn't make their moves or yeah. if he could have gone to someone like Tennessee or Indianapolis. But at the end of the day, he falls to 27. I think Baltimore gets a steal because – they get someone who can fill a role for them. He's not this slot guy. He's someone who can play a lot of different positions. On offense at wide receiver, can get a lot done. And then Owe at 31, again, more of a developmental piece and was mocked to Baltimore in some situations. But it, they addressed their top two needs in the first day of free agency, which I think was the goal all along. Yeah, and, and I've, always, uh, I've always kept a close eye on the Ravens on draft day. Uh, especially when Ozzy Newsom was running the show, because it just seemed like, you know, he was either the best GM of all time or the luckiest. Because I swear to God, the guy would just sit there in whatever spot the Ravens were drafting in, 
and the, somehow the board always fell that the best possible player was always sitting there for Ozzie Newsom when it came time for Baltimore uh, to pick, and he would just snatch him up, and they would thrive uh, for the Ravens. And we just see it happen year in and year out. Like, man, Ozzie Newsom's going to do it again. Like, here it is, this this guy that, that wasn't supposed to be there. Ozzie Newsom didn't have to move up the board, down the board, sideways and left and right and everything. The guy literally just falls in his lap in his spot. He sat there and, and waited for the draft to come to him, and he always took advantage of, of the best possible player uh, that he could. And now DaCosta, who is basically Ozzie Newsom. 2.0 uh, is pretty much doing the same thing. Yeah, the Ravens have always been really, really good at employing the best player available strategy, and it, it's helped them. I, I'll go back to the Marlon Humphrey selection that was in the 2017 draft, I believe, and or maybe it, maybe it was 2016. I, I think it was 2016, and or maybe I'm wrong. It was one of those drafts, and the Ravens had corners. They had Jimmy Smith. They had Brandon Carr. And Humphrey was someone who was originally supposed to come in and be a starter on a team. And a lot of people didn't really see Baltimore as a cornerback needy team, but they selected the player who they thought was the best. It didn't matter the position. And Humphrey has turned into one of the best, if not the best corners in the entire NFL. You could even take it back to the 2020 draft when the Ravens already had Mark Ingram. They already had Gus Edwards and they take J.K. Dobbins in the second round. When they didn't really need to take a running back in the second round, it was argued that wide receiver was a much bigger need and they should have taken Denzel Mims. But Dobbins, he had a phenomenal rookie season after I think it was only 25 carries in, in his first six weeks. The Ravens, he was doing too many good things to keep off of the field. So the Ravens put him on the field. He ended up leading all running backs in yards per carry in 2020 was 6.0. He broke the Ravens rookie touchdown record and he's looking for a big year too. So for the Ravens, they always know that they're going to be able to fill their roster in some way, shape or form. And they want to do that by stacking strength on strength and making sure that they have depth at a lot of different positions. And it doesn't matter for them if they spend a high pick or not. You know, if there is a player who is good, like really, really good at a need and they're very high on him in the first round, I mean, they'll take him instead of somebody like they're not going to take a quarterback because they have Lamar Jackson there. And I know Bucky Brooks took a lot of flack for that. But what the Ravens have done is really helped themselves for not only the present, but the future, because you see guys like Humphrey develop and you see guys like Dobbins develop and they help in the short term, but also it's a years to come thing. And as that older depth kind of retires or goes elsewhere, they have the guys they drafted at a position that they didn't really need in that draft that they took them in. Yeah. It's uh it's, it's a strategy that I've watched unfold year in, uh, and you're out with the uh, with the Ravens and this, this sustainability of this level of success. I mean, you, you know, it, it's it's difficult to come by uh, in the NFL, and it, it all comes down to how you're building uh, your team. And the Ravens have been better than most uh, in that aspect. So let's look at the rest of the draft. You got your two first rounders, Bateman and, and Owe, in the in the first round, uh, thanks to the Orlando Brown trade. Uh, in the third round, you got uh, Ben Cleveland, a guard out of Georgia, so adding to that offensive line uh, depth. You got another corner in Brandon Stevens and the, the other third-round pick. Then Tylen Wallace, a wide receiver out of uh, Oklahoma State. Uh, and then three fifth-rounders, Sean Wade, a corner out of Ohio State. Dalen Hayes, a defensive end from Notre Dame. Ben Mason, a fullback. Don't see too many of those these days. And I think the Ravens and the 49ers are the only ones keeping that position alive right now. But uh, – your last pick in, in the in the fifth round 
uh, Mason, a fullback out of uh, Michigan. Who out of this group are you expecting to see things from? I think out of that group, not not named Bateman or Owe, um, I think Ben Cleveland, the, the next pick the Ravens took there at 94, is going to be the guy. Um, super, he's, he's a mountain. I, I don't know how else to describe him. He's just a huge human being, moves guys off the line, has a ton of power, very sound in pass protection as an anchor, does not get moved up very easily, can sometimes struggle with more athletic interior guys, but for the most part, I mean, just all around, all around solid. And... The Ravens, with with their shuffling and they're moving Bradley Bozeman back to center, it's kind of unclear how they feel right now about Ben Powers. I think he's going to win that starting job. You know, he is someone who I think the Ravens needed. And John Harbaugh said, you know, he was getting antsy because the Ravens didn't have a pick from 31 to 94 because they traded their second round pick in the Kansas City deal back to Kansas City. So they were waiting a while. They saw a ton of talented guys go off the board right around where they were supposed to be picking. And John Harbaugh said he was getting antsy. He wanted to trade up for Ben Cleveland. This was a guy they really, really wanted. I think they have super high expectations for him. So I think he'll contribute a big amount. Other than that, though, I mean, the Ravens got a lot of good talent. I think guys like Brandon Stevens, Tylen Wallace, even Dalen Hayes, Ben Mason, too, are more developmental. Sean Weed, you can throw in there as well. I mean, the Ravens have a lot of depth at those positions already, a lot of good depth. And again, it's, it's almost like stacking those strengths. You know, the Ravens, they weren't expected to take another wide receiver. I talked for months unlocked on Ravens about how the Ravens were going to take two receivers in the draft because it would mean they would have had to move off of a talented guy it looked like because I don't think they throw the football enough to keep seven wide receivers on their roster with the selections of Bateman and Wallace they now have seven wide receivers who should make their roster but I can only see them keeping six so it looks like it's going to be a battle between Niles Boykin and James Prochet to make that sixth roster spot at the wide receiver position that took me by surprise. The Ravens didn't take an offensive tackle in this draft. They did not take a defensive lineman in this draft, an interior defensive lineman in this draft. When the Ravens have three guys over 30 in Clays Campbell, Derek Wolf, and Brandon Williams, they, I, I could have seen them taking a defensive lineman, also offensive tackle. They decided to fill that with Alejandro Villanueva instead of a young guy. So it was interesting, but I think Ben Cleveland is going to be the guy not named Bateman or Oa who's going to really make an impact for Baltimore in 2021. All right, so let's move on to the schedule as we wrap things uh, up here. The Ravens with uh, two national TV dates right off the bat. You start off on Monday night on the road at the Raiders and then home for the Chiefs on Sunday night uh, football. Uh, three out of four on the road to start because you go you're on the road at the Raiders, home for the Chiefs, and then uh, off to Detroit, off to Denver before you're back on Monday night football again uh, at home with the Colts. And then... The Colts starts a a run of four home games in a row, broken up by a bye week. But nonetheless, from October 11th, you don't go back out on the road until a Thursday night game on November 11th. So a straight month at home uh, in your own field. You don't see that happen often uh, when the NFL schedules come out. No, you, you don't. And I, John Harville is talking about it. Uh, during, after he saw the schedule and he pretty much alluded to the fact that, you know, sometimes the schedule goes in your favor. Other times, you know, there are some wacky things that happen. And one of the, the wackier things on that schedule this year is Baltimore has Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Cleveland. And that that's a tough stretch, you know, especially seeing a team two times in three weeks. But that Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Cleveland for the Browns, it's Baltimore by Baltimore. Yeah. So yeah. they have – two weeks to prepare for the Ravens while they're 
while the Ravens have to go prepare and play Pittsburgh and then have to go back and they travel to Cleveland to play Cleveland. So that's a tough stretch, especially when your opponent has two weeks to game plan for you when you just don't have that time. Yeah. But I mean, the Ravens, it it was expected to me that they were going to get a lot of primetime games. They got five, which is the maximum allowed uh, until, you know, rescheduling comes into effect later in the year. Right. But those opening primetime games, I mean, against Las Vegas, the opening game in that stadium with fans is going to be huge. The Ravens have been week one warriors. I can't remember the exact number right now, but I believe it's around 120 to 13 or 100, 120 to 20 that they've outscored their opponents over the last three week ones. It might be 149 to 20, but they, they just don't lose in week one or they haven't. They've blown teams out in week ones, but then the big one, and this is going to be a tone setter. You know, I, you know, I know we talked about the tone setter that week three against Kansas city was in 2020. Well, now it's week two against Kansas city in 2021 at M bank stadium. Fans are going to be crazy for that one. They're going to be wild for that one. It's going to be a great game. I think that will determine a lot of what happens for the Ravens. Can they finally get that one against Kansas city? They've been waiting a long time for it. It's been a while. 0-3 over the last three seasons against the Chiefs, but I think this could be the year that they finally get over that hump, but they are going to have to generate pressure. And then you mentioned it, you know, some of the games, a lot of them a stretch on the road, a stretch at home, back on the road. It's kind of a wacky schedule for Baltimore, but John Harbaugh said they'll take it as they as it comes and they'll go from there. Yeah, that uh, that Cleveland-Pittsburgh-Cleveland stretch, uh, Jeff Lloyd and I from Locked on Browns uh, talked about that where it was, it's uh, Baltimore by Baltimore uh, on on their schedule and talking about how it's like we have basically an entire calendar month where nothing, we talk about nothing but the Baltimore Ravens. And they are the focus of our entire universe for at least three weeks, you know, from the day after they play whoever they play before, uh, you know, before the before you guys until the day after they play you the second time, it's all about the, it's all the Ravens all the time, and, and what an what an advantage that could be, and what a disadvantage it could be for you guys to have to break it up with a tough game uh, at Pittsburgh as well. So I mean, you you have to go on the road at Pittsburgh, then at Cleveland uh, for the for the rematch uh, and everything, and and you know, like God forbid if if uh, you know. For, for the Browns, anyway, if they lose that first one, they've got two weeks to figure out what they did wrong and nothing but the Ravens to focus on how to fix that when you guys go to Cleveland uh, two weeks later. Yeah, and, and I think that's what a lot of people are expecting. I think, at least for me, I expect Baltimore to win that first game and then lose the second one against mm-hmm. Cleveland just because of that advantage. And, and that's, that, that's no disrespect to the Browns. I mean, they, they could do it even without that, I think. Sure. But, just to, to have an advantage like that to be able to prepare and, and as, as Jeff kind of talked about there as he mentioned it, you know, nothing but Baltimore. It's all Baltimore where the Ravens are going to have a tough game against Pittsburgh. And then you got to turn around from that and prepare. You know, that, that's going to be a tough physical game. I'm not saying Baltimore can't do it. You know, they certainly can, but it's going to be tough. Yeah, but I mean, it's also three straight division games right in the right in the thick of the season where things start to get interesting, where where playoff seedings become a factor, and you know the, those conference wins and things like that who determine who makes the playoffs and who don't. It's it's a tough stretch to you know like if this was like week four and week six, not as big a deal as it is, and you know when the two games are week twelve and week fourteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I yeah it, it's. The five of the Ravens' last seven uh, are going to be against division opponents, yeah. and that's also in there with 
Green Bay and Los Angeles. So that's a tough back half of the schedule where Baltimore gets games like Detroit and, and Los Angeles and, and a game against Cincinnati out of the way. I mean, it's going to be really rough over the back half. And again, Baltimore can do it. They have the, they're a good team. They have the roster talent. They have a former MVP at quarterback. I'm not the Ravens aren't going to go like one and six or oh and seven or anything like that. I don't I don't think so. Right. They're going to be able to continue to stay competitive through that. But it's going to be it's going to be a lot tougher than their back half of 2020, which saw them play teams like Jacksonville and the Giants and Cincinnati and, and a beat up Dallas team. So that's going to be the difference. It's going to be the, the cakewalk back half of the 2020 schedule versus the onslaught of good opponents that they'll have during the back half of 2021. Yeah, it's uh, like after the bye week, you're home from Minnesota, then a, sh- then a quick turnaround at Miami on Thursday night football. You get the mini bye before you should come to Chicago, uh, week number eleven, and then there's that three game stretch: Cleveland at home on Sunday night football, at Pittsburgh, at Cleveland, and then the last four games home for Green Bay, at Cincinnati, home for L.A. The Rams this time because you play the Chargers earlier in the season, and then home for Pittsburgh to. Uh, to close things out. So it is a rather tough stretch. And like you said, five of the last seven are division games and the other two are Green Bay and the Rams. So that, that la- those last seven games, you're really going to find out who the Ravens are and, uh, you know, if they can handle, if they've got the, the, the must, the, the, the metal to, uh, to, to, to charge into the playoffs with a, with a head of steam or with that sort of softer first half of the schedule, will they kind of limp in through the back door? Yeah, and, and I think it's important for them to get off to a good start during the yeah, front half of the season. For sure. Because yeah. if you can do that, you can afford yourself maybe one or two losses that you maybe couldn't have if you went, uh, I don't know, let's say four and three over the first seven weeks. If you go five and two or six and one, you can afford a slip up against a good team like Cleveland or a good team like Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers or Los Angeles. Whereas if you're four and three, you know, you start to get into the 11 and six territory to end the year or, you know, a different number in that range where it can be a little bit more dicey, even with the extra playoff spot. And when we saw last year, the Ravens still with an 11 and five record just barely made the playoffs because there were so many teams who had an 11 and five record in the AFC. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh it was a uh, it was an interesting uh conference uh last year where there were 10 and 6 teams on the outside looking in uh last year. You don't usually see that. 10 wins usually is a guaranteed playoff spot uh in the NFL on on in either conference. And uh last year the Bears made the NF made the playoffs at 8 and 8 uh for the 7th seed and you have at least one or two teams in the AFC at 10 and 6 that did not uh make it. Uh, last year so yeah those wins will be critical at, at the end of the season in a time where basically the Ravens don't get a week off after the Bears game you know it's like I'm not really sure what kind of team we're going to have this year I'm very excited to see how it all turns out but uh, you know week 11 of the year we should know damn well who the Bears are at that time and uh, whether or not that's going to be a tough out if it, because it's on the road or or the or the Bears you know have found themselves and they are a good football team it doesn't get any easier after that you have two brown two you know the basically the back-to-back with the browns you have the steelers the packers you know like the one quote-unquote week off is still a divisional game with the Bengals. you know that's no guarantee divisional games good or bad teams those are always tough games and then the rams and the and the steelers you know the ravens are going to have to buck up if they want to make the playoffs this year yep and we'll and we'll, and we'll figure it out i mean 
to me, I think this is an important year for growth. And I don't necessarily view growth in terms like, oh, like there's this many passing yards or this many touchdowns. But the Ravens over the last three years, you know, wild card exit, division around exit, division around exit. I think now it's time to step that up and say, all right, let's go to the AFC Championship game. Let's go to the Super Bowl, right? You, you, the, if you do something too many times, you know, everybody's talked about the definition of insanity. But right. I think that now is the time. If the Ravens get off to a slow start, let's say they start off two and three, I think Greg Roman is the guy who takes that fall. And, you know, with all the scrutiny he's taken for the lack of passing and growth and development, if they start off slow, I could definitely see them firing Roman and promoting quarterback coach James Urban to the offensive coordinator job and seeing what happens there. I mean, I think a lot of people forget Cam Cameron was the offensive coordinator of that 2012-2013 Super Bowl team for the majority of that year, gets fired mid-season. Jim Caldwell takes over and leads them to the Super Bowl. So it can certainly happen. Super Bowl runs can still happen, changing coordinators mid-season. But I think if the Ravens start off slowly and, and they start to put themselves at a disadvantage, some changes could happen. And I will definitely be watching, you know, as a, as a football fan, um, you know, in general, the Ravens are definitely always a team you want to keep your eye on because they, they can catch fire. And, uh, you know, like I said, they've one of those teams in the AFC that have been uh, consistently good, a team that's always kind of circling the playoffs, especially since John Harbaugh uh, came to town. Uh, you know, it was such a curious decision to hire him as head coach Back then, especially since he was just the special teams coordinator for the Eagles, uh, when you guys hired him, it was like, really? Special teams to head coach? That's weird. <laughs> and, you know, right away he's in the playoffs and, you know, you're doing things, you're, you're winning Super Bowls and, uh, and things like that. Uh, you know, the, the Ravens are, are one of the, the best teams in the, uh, one of the best organizations, uh, in football. And I, and I admire what they do. So, and I'm glad they're in the AFC. So we don't have to see you guys often. Uh, either so but I would like to mention that uh, and this is something I've kind of been beating into the ground just because you know we bear fans have been struggling over the years and we got to hang on to what we can hang on to the last two times that the Bears have played the AFC North we were the uncrowned AFC North champions at the at the end of the year because we swept the division in 2017 and 2013 so looking for the three-peat uh, I don't think we'll get it this year I don't think we'll go spotless uh, in the uh, in the AFC North this season, I'll be shocked uh, if we do, especially since this year it doesn't include an 0-16 Cleveland team or a struggling Bengals team and uh, and things like that. So, but we're looking for that three-peat to win the AFC North crown uh, again. Hopefully, you guys will cooperate with us on November t- or November twenty first, and uh, you know, let us get one one step closer to our goal. <laughs> I don't know if cooperating is going to be going to be in the agreement, but I do know that you know at that time, you know, we're talking about late November. Will it be Andy Dalton? Will it be Justin Fields? Exactly. I mean, will will a quarterback change have happened at that point? You know, I, I know the Bears have been pretty adamant about, hey, Andy Dalton's the guy right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for how long is he that guy? Is it going to be a Baltimore defense that, that Fields has to go up against? Or will it be Andy Dalton who's pretty familiar with it? Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. And, and every opponent that I've spoken to thus far that's on the back half of the schedule, that's the literally the first thing that they are like. It's for like when we outlook to to the game. I was like, oh, yeah, who's the quarterback going to be when we play week eight, week, week 10, week 11? Uh, you know, I think it's week 11 for when, when, when we meet each other up uh, again, you know, towards the end of uh, November. Who is the quarterback going to be at that time? And it's, it's difficult to say. 
because as adamant as Nagy has been about who the week one starter is going to be and who the quarterback is going to be early on, he's also kind of leaving that back door open at the same time. He's all, you know, let's trust the process. Andy Dalton is the guy. He's our QB one. He's going to be our starter week one, but you never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen. We'll have to see how it goes and blah, blah, blah. He made a comment about a month or so ago now where we are going to, we're not going to keep him on the sidelines just to keep him on the sidelines. Like if he's ready to play, he's going to be out there. So he's leaving these little like breadcrumbs to the earliest uh, entrance possible uh, for Justin Fields uh, and things like that. So like personally, I don't know, regardless of how the season is going, as far as like how the Bears are playing, or unless Andy Dalton is having a Pro Bowl career year, I would probably anticipate around a week 11 is when you would see, um, uh, when you would see Justin Fields, especially since our game against you is after the bye week. So he would have that, that time to prepare uh, to be out there against the, uh, the Ravens. So if like, if we're, you know, four, five and four, four and five or whatever, going into that, that game or whatever, I could definitely see that being, if he isn't starting already, that could probably be the key spot in the schedule for Justin Fields to take over. Yeah. And, and the Ravens defense over the years has been very good against younger quarterbacks, rookies, second year guys, even some third year guys because of how complex they are. So I, I if I were the Bears and I was considering a quarterback change, I would I would maybe want to get Justin Fields a few more weeks of preparation of just being in the NFL, getting, you know, starter snaps before I would have him go up against a vaunted Ravens defense. But I mean, at the same time, if if, if it's working with Andy Dalton or if it's not working with him and then you have to make that change. I'm curious to see who it's going to be because I think that both are very talented. I think Fields has a very bright future in this league, but it's a matter of when for Justin Fields. Yeah. Is he going to be the quarterback? And if it, it is week 11 against Baltimore, if that's the first game he has to go up against. I mean, the first time Joe Burrow last year went up against Baltimore's defense, he he had a nightmare game. You know, he, he looks back on that game, I think, still and thinks that was his worst game as a pro. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Fields will be able to carve up Baltimore's defense if he if it is Fields or if he'll have a little nightmare game like Joe Burrow did. But Dalton's familiar with him, you know, playing all those years in Cincinnati, playing him twice a year. He had some good games against the Ravens. Him and A.J. Green were that duo. Maybe it's the Dalton-Allen Robinson duo this year. Who knows? But I'm excited to see that game. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it in general. It's like even though Andy Dalton was uh, – the signing was a big letdown after – especially since it had took place right after the rumors of the Bears and Seattle making a deal for Russell Wilson – had like ramped all the way up to the fact the Bears made an offer uh, and everything when when Seattle and the Chicago were in North Dakota scouting Trey Lance for his pro day they sat down and, and had a meeting supposedly and he made an offer that uh, that Schneider turned down so uh, it was like after that uh, you know was dead in the water we signed Andy Dalton and all the Bear fans were like really Andy Dalton was like after all the guys that we've been rumored to be attached to this is who we who we signed and then we signed him for $10 million and, you know, with incentives to make it 13, if things go well and things like that, it's like, do you know, the guys we could have signed for $10 million and we settle for Andy Dalton. This is insane. You know, after all of the hubbub of, you know, it, it, that was kind of like the embarrassing part of the off season 
was there wasn't a quarterback who was even semi-available that the Bears weren't attached to. Even rumors about Ben Roethlisberger when he was having his salary cap issues with the with the Steelers and everything before they made the deal to cut his cap figure uh, down and everything. It's like if you were even remotely available, you were attached to the Bears at some point in the offseason. Russell Wilson, uh, Deshaun Watson, Derek Carr, Matt Stafford, Carson Wentz. I mean, you name it. You name Marcus Mariota, uh, Teddy Bridgewater, and, and no matter who it was, if you were even slightly available, you were on the Bears' radar. Gardner Minshew, it just one name after another. It's like Jesus, who is it this week? Who is it going to be this week? And then finally, the the you know the the fire with with Russell Wilson went out, and it's Andy Dalton that's standing there in the ashes. Bear fans were not thrilled, you know. But it's like Andy Dalton's still a good quarterback. He'll get us where we need to go or, you know, he won't embarrass us like some of our other quarterbacks would. He's an upgrade over Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky. So everybody let's calm down and give the guy a chance and then see how it's like, I know it sucks. He's not Russell Wilson, but you know, Andy Dalton can play. So let's see what, uh, let's see what happens here. And then of course draft day happens and it's like, yeah, move over Andy. Justin's here, you know? (laughs) So we'll see how it goes. I, you know, I've been hearing nothing but good things about what, what Dalton is doing. He's, you know, struggled early, but he's kind of, you know, settled in. And uh, he's he's also leaning into the leadership role and helping out Justin Fields as well, which is going to help his stock in Chicago uh, as well. So I'm interested to see how it's all going to go down. Before that, before the draft, not so much. After the draft, I can't wait for the season to start. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about quarterbacks in, in every name. I mean, that's the Ravens in every free agent ever, like every free agent <laughs> available. I don't know how many times – I've had to talk about Antonio Brown. Right. I don't know how many times I've had to talk about Julio Jones during that whole thing. Jamal Adams was, a, was like a two-month, three-month process. You know, big, bigger names like that, too. You know, Allen Robinson is someone who I talked about for a long time, too. Because as anybody who's available, you know, the Ravens want to improve. They have shown that. You know, the Marcus Peters trade in 2019 came out of nowhere. The Ravens, again, didn't need corners, but they saw someone who was available and made that move. So the Ravens can make a move for anybody, but it seems like a lot of people want every player in existence on the Ravens when there are only 53 spots. And it, it can be fun to look at some of those guys, but at the same time, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, you're giving up five first-round picks in this deal. I mean, what are we doing here? So right. there, there there are a lot of free agents, a lot of a lot of trade scenarios, a lot of draft scenarios where it's been – I've spent a lot of my time on those because they've just been – they've been the news for weeks and months. Yeah, yeah, I, I – uh... I, I I love what you guys do, you know, the daily the daily content for Locked On Ravens, or in my case, you know, Lauren Cox with Locked On Bears, but uh, I don't envy what you guys have to do, you know, have to stir something up, or this latest rumor, you have to turn it into something, or, or whatever, and what you have to do week in and week out during the offseason, especially this time of year. Like, I call this the vast wasteland of the offseason, between the draft and training camp, yeah, you have OTAs uh, and everything, but how much can you really squeeze out of the OTAs if they're just walking around in, in you know, helmets and, and shorts and everything? They're not really actually playing football yet. And, you know, it's like, oh, big deal. The guy in, in, in a T-shirt and shorts is, is showing up on the field. That's great. But how's it going to be when the pads come on? How's it going to be when they hit the field and things like that? That's the real news, and we won't know that until at least August. So, you know, this this time of year is always uh, a tough. That's why I do this. That's why I do the opponent previews during this time of year to kind of fill in that uh, that that gigantic void between the draft and the start of training camp. 
Yeah, you know, these these are, I think, the dog days of summer is what a lot of people call oh, them. You know, sure. I call it the, the, the lull period before really the, the training camp and the preseason starts. But it's also given me a greater appreciation because I go more in depth with things where, you know, I, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily talk about certain things. You know, I do seasonal reviews, positional previews, schedule previews, schedule reviews, and, and it's time to go back and reflect and figure out, you know, all right. We know pretty. We know a general idea of what went, what went wrong here, what went right here, but really diving into it. I mean, you know, every day there's something to talk about. You know, what I've learned is that you can make something. You know, it, there doesn't always have to be breaking news in order to make something. But you know, getting through this period, kind of diving into that stuff now, as you mentioned with with the opponent previews and everything for yourself. When the preseason starts up, when that excitement for the regular season starts up and that full swing starts to happen again, I mean, it's just such an exciting time for Absolutely. everybody. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. I can't wait for it. So, Kevin, thank you so much. I think I've taken up enough of your time. I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Uh, we look forward to having you back on in November where we'll be able to answer the question, Dalton or Fields uh, taking, the, taking the field against your uh, Ravens when you come to – uh, Chicago in in uh, in late November. Yeah, Larry, I'm I'm excited for it, and that'll be that'll be the answer. You know, I'll I'll kind of be thinking about it. You know, I think the first couple of weeks for Chicago will tell a lot. I mean, about what ends up happening, but right. by the time you know week eleven rolls around, a lot can change. Injuries can injuries will happen. You know, injuries happen across the entire league. Sure. I think we'll see two teams who are hungry, though, and who want a win really badly, whether it be just to prove something or because they need it for the playoffs. Yeah, and uh, the Ravens will be looking to snap a two-game losing streak against my Bears. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I remember famously that you took us to the woodshed in '09, but 2013, 2017 came out on top. So uh, you know, we'll see if we can keep that uh, that going. That once every four-year matchup that we can look forward to. So uh, where else can we keep up with you in in the meantime, Kevin? Yeah, for me, um, I am on Twitter. My personal account is at chaosstricker34. The show account is at Locked on Ravens. I also host Locked on Ravens five days a week. Um, I produce it as well. It's anywhere you get your podcasts, so Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, um, anywhere like that. I also am the managing editor for Ravens Wire, so I write articles there daily on Baltimore. And certainly as that Chicago matchup comes up and as schedule previews continue to happen, I'll be covering that and and other Ravens-related content. I do it every day. Seven days a week, I am all Ravens. Football is really all I know at this point. Busy guy, Kevin. Appreciate it. And uh, (laughs) we look forward to having you back on in November, man. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Larry. I want to thank Kevin Ostriker from Locked On Ravens for – helping me preview these uh, 2021 uh, Ravens. Had a lot of fun uh, talking to him. Looking forward to having him back after the bye week uh, when we uh, we play the Ravens. I believe we welcome – yeah, we do welcome them to uh, Soldier Field. So it'll be a Lamar Jackson's first trip uh, to Chicago. And then, of course, the same question that literally every guest has been asking me thus far, who's the starting quarterback going to be? And uh, that's a great question, especially where the Ravens – uh, are concerned. Will it be uh, Andy Dalton uh, still being the starting quarterback at that point in the season, or will the Bears be in a position? You know, maybe they're five and four, four and five, need a little spark for that final run uh, of the season, take the bye week, 
get Justin Fields ready, give him a little extra time, a few extra reps, and uh, you know attack it and, and go against the Ravens. Defensively, that might not be the best strategy because the Ravens are stout on defense. However, if there's a game to start the kid on, that might be the one, you know, if uh, especially if if we're at the at that point in the season, four and five, five and four, you know, something like that. Need a spark to get us over the hump, and uh, we bring in Justin Fields. He'll be at home, you know, despite we're the the good team that we'll be playing. It's at home, a very friendly environment, a very ecstatic Bears crowd will be welcoming him onto the field, and and so on. That's definitely one to keep your eye on, especially if Dalton does you know, persevere and make it at the very least through the bye week as the starting quarterback for the Bears. So that's definitely one of the more intriguing matchups for many reasons, not just our first uh, regular season bite at uh, Lamar Jackson and things like that. Uh, it's after the bye. We're going into the home stretch of the season. Who will be our starting quarterback? That's a real head scratcher for that particular uh, game because who knows? Who knows? So by that time, Justin Fields' progress in the practice field, in the meeting room, and, and you know, might be such that uh, Nagy and, and company just can't keep him off the field uh, anymore. So we'll have to wait and see. It, it is the most intriguing question of 2021. When will Justin Fields get on the field? When will he be the starter? Because I'm something tells me we might see Justin Fields from time to time, uh, a drive here, a package there, kind of thing. I know the Bears haven't alluded to anything like that, but it's intriguing at the at the very least to to think of it uh, that way, and the possibility of getting him some game reps uh, during the season, you know, some situations or, or or what have you, maybe goal line or something like that because of his running ability uh, and something, you know, just to get him out there, get him some game reps and, and things like that. We'll have to wait and see, you know. So it's like, A, when is he going to be on the field? B, when is he going to be the starter? Those are the questions that, uh, you know, we'll have to just wait and see as far as 2021 is concerned. Because I guarantee 2022, there's no question who our starting quarterback is. So, it's just a matter of uh, getting through this first season and uh, seeing when we're going to get Justin Fields out there and when he's going to take over uh, the offense. So, uh, again, uh, love talking to uh, to Kevin. Look forward to having him back on after that uh, bye week. That should definitely be an interesting preview uh, episode or definitely an interesting week going into that game for sure. And um, up next, we got the Pittsburgh Steelers. We'll be closing out the AFC North with last year's first place finisher, a team that started out with a head of steam, 11-0 start, but finished 12 and 4. So they went 1 and 4 down the stretch. They only won one football game out of their last 5 and uh went into the playoffs, you know, kind of limping, hosted the playoff game against the Browns where it kind of looked like a foregone conclusion they would win because the Browns got struck with COVID there right at the end uh of the season. They were without their head coach Kevin Stefanski. They were actually without a few coaches and some players um going into the Browns game, but uh first play of the game uh, Marquise Pouncey snaps it over uh, Ben Roethlisberger's head. It's recovered for a touchdown, and then the floodgates opened up. Before the first quarter was over, it was at least 21 to nothing. There were like two pick sixes, uh, you know, and everything like that. And the the it just like it just all the momentum was on Cleveland's side, and they rode that uh, to victory. So for the Steelers to start 11 and 0 and look unstoppable at some points during the season for them to go one in five down the stretch, including losing that wild card game was a hell of a way uh, to finish 
uh, the season. You know, it, it's not so it's not so often that you can look at your your season and look at a twelve and five record and be monumentally disappointed in how it turned out. You know, because it's it almost doesn't matter that they started eleven and zero because they went one and five in the end, and including a home playoff loss to a division rival. They lost back to back games to the Browns. Because if the, the Browns had to win and get in week 17 and then obviously beat the Steelers in the wild card round. So they lost back-to-back games to the Browns to end their season and, uh, you know, go home early for a team that just a month and a half earlier looked like the, the class of the NFL and they were just going to roll their way into the playoffs. And for that last month to go the way that it did, very, very interesting uh, conversation that we had uh, with Christopher Carter from Locked on Steelers uh, to, uh, to do that. So, and this will be our last locked on guest. Uh, actually, I take that back. This will be our last locked on guest for a few episodes now uh, because our next three uh, guests are all from SB Nation, uh, starting with Jeremy Reisman from the Detroit Lions from Pride of Detroit, Chris Gates from the Daily Norseman for the Vikings, and of course, uh, Evan Western from Acme Packing Company for the Green Bay Packers. And then our locked on guest will be back, Lauren Cox for uh, Locked on Bears to. Uh, to, to wrap this thing, whole thing up and talk about our beloved uh, Chicago Bears. So that's going to be the next two weeks uh, of shows, uh, uh, in two and a half weeks, I should say. we got five episodes left, and Chris Carter will help us wrap up the AFC North with the Steelers on Thursday. So, um, you know, most of you are off today like me. I'm off today here on uh, 4th of July, Monday uh, on the 5th. And uh, so enjoy the rest of your holiday. Back to the grind tomorrow on Tuesday. Come back and see me on Thursday when we'll finish up with the Steelers and the AFC North. So until then, my name is Larry D and this has been the Bears Talk Underground.